0: Stay above water, you know? Stay busy, stay working. I'm telling you, right? The key to this joint, the key to stay on top of things, to treat everything like it's your first time, you know what I'm saying? Like it's your first day, like I went to the intern, like how you try to treat things, like, just stay home. Huh? Yes. I tell you one thing, it's fantastic to be back. Welcome to the Offensive Interference Podcast presented by footballgameplan.com. My name is Gene Clemens, coming to you live from the deck. i outside of my football field where I coach at Tucker High School in, um, in Tucker, Georgia. Fantastic to be back with you again today. Football season's here, and, and even though we are not close to the regular season yet, we still have a few more weeks until we get to the NFL regular season or until we get to kickoff for the college football season. Um, High school is right around the corner. We have our first um, clash versus another foe next week versus a state power in Marietta High School. So looking forward to getting started with that. Um, But there's been a lot of things on my mind, a lot of things that have bothered me um, this summer and continue to bother me. And there's things I just wanted to address. And so it's great to be back with you again um, you know what we do on the Offensive Interference Podcast. We keep it blood raw. Um, we're not trying to mince words. We're not trying to, you know, mince feelings. We're not trying to make friends, and we're not trying to make enemies. I'm just telling you how I see it, and anybody that's on this podcast with me, they're going to tell you how they see it, and at the end of the day, you can form your own opinion based off of what we say. Um, I, at footballgameplan.com, we try to um, live by the phrase, where well, football makes sense. And so it's it's important to me to always come from a perspective of it's making sense. And when it starts to not make sense, that's when I know it's probably time to reevaluate what it is I'm saying or what it is I'm doing. Um, when you look at the landscape of the NFL and of college football right now, you see all of these fantastic young um, black players that are taking college football by storm. No longer do you have to wait till your junior year, or your senior year to... Um, really shine. You can shine as a true freshman or as a red shirt freshman. We've seen many people do it. Um, especially our young um, minorities show the mental the mental aptitude to be able to handle the rigors of college um, football. We've seen young um, black quarterbacks and, and young black players at other positions be able to handle the rigors of the NFL and the professionalism of the NFL at a young age. So how is that not equating with our coaches where are all the black coaches at i mean i'm sitting back listening and 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 i say that and i'm like okay there's three black nfl head coaches out of 32 positions somebody might argue okay it's 32 that's not a lot if you look at the percentages in america of white people to black people maybe there should be a few more but maybe that number's not off that's great uh huh except for when you look at who populates the NFL. You look at the players in the NFL, and it's predominantly black. It's been predominantly black for a long time. And so you want, you just ask yourself, where are the young up-and-coming black um, coaches that get the opportunity that some of these young up-and-coming white coaches get? Um, I'll give you some examples. Freddie Kitchens uh, with, with the – um, with the Cleveland Browns, gets an opportunity as a head coach, even though he wasn't the interim head coach last year. And and many believe wasn't even the guy responsible for the offense that got going when he was um, the offensive coordinator for the Browns. I've I've seen him talk. He doesn't sound like a head coach. I've seen him move. He doesn't move like a head coach. But he's a head coach. And more power to him. I'm not saying he shouldn't have that job. I'm not saying he shouldn't have taken the job when he got the job, when he received the job, but it's really interesting to me that it used to be, well, you know, someone's got to be able to look and sound like a head coach. He doesn't look, nor does he sound like a head coach. He's a head coach. Um, Matt LaFleur, the former offensive coordinator of the Titans, who um, led that Titans offense last year to one of the worst-looking offenses I've ever seen one of the most discombobulated offenses I've ever seen. And yet his offensive wizardry resulted in him getting a job as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I watched them put a drive together in their first preseason game where they were in the red zone. Um, Exactly, actually they were in the green zone, so inside the 10. And it took them eight plays to get a touchdown and I'm not saying that it shouldn't take you eight plays to get a touchdown I'm saying that when you're supposed to be a young innovative offensive genius it's not supposed to take you eight plays to get a touchdown from the 10yard line um, I'm a coach I believe if you gave me four plays from the 10yard line with the talent that's in the NFL I could score a touchdown on you know the talent that are that's subsequently the same on the other side that's just a hubris in me I could be wrong so he's sitting over there with the head coaching job zach taylor who is the rams quarterback coach was able to parlay his time as the rams quarterback coach into a head coaching position with the cincinnati Bengals, replacing since one of one of the most all-time winningest coaches for cincinnati in marvin lewis i'm a guy who can never get over the hump in the playoffs but Consistently had the Cincinnati Bengals as a relevant program in the NFL, which they were not for many, many years before he showed up there on the scene. And so now we're talking about three coaches. And Zach Taylor's claim to fame is he's underneath a guy who's responsible for the development and for the play calling of the quarterback that's with the Rams and of the offense with the Rams. That's Sean McVay. He has been credited with the development of their quarterback and with calling the plays on offense. So, what the hell does Sha- what the hell does that Taylor do? How does he deserve a head coaching job? And if you look across the entire NFL landscape, you see it everywhere. Young, white head coaches with limited experience with limited success getting opportunities. Then you see Eric Bieniemy, who is the offensive coordinator with Um, the Kansas City Chiefs, a guy who was in charge of um, helping to develop that offense into what it became last year under first-year quarterback um, Mahomes. And with that being said, didn't get one head coaching job. And the arguments were, oh, well, he wasn't a fit. He wasn't a fit. Come on, man. It's 32 teams. It's three NFL black coaches. You can't tell me this man ain't a fit in one spot, that he can't be good for one team. I find that hard to believe, especially since most of these other white coaches are going to get fired in the next year. They're going to get recycled, thrown right back into the blender, blender, and become a head coach again, kind of like Adam Gaze is right now with the New York Jets after doing a horrible job in Miami. Not to be outdone, obviously, is the NCAA, who seems to never do anything right when it comes to Um, Coaches or or anything with their with their entire product. Um, twelve. They have twelve NFL coaches. Like, keep this in mind. I mean, twelve head coaches. Keep this in mind. The NCAA has four times as many head coaches as the NFL does. Black head coaches, but they have 128 FBS programs. 128 FBS programs. That means that if you went four times 32, four times 32, that's 64. 64 plus 64 is 128. That means they have exactly the same percentage of head coaches at the NCAA level as they do at the NFL level. Can somebody tell me that they get together and decide that They were all going to do the same thing at the same time? I can't figure it out. The only thing I know for certain is that there are the same percentage of head coaches at the NFL level that there is at the NCAA FBS level. And that, my friends, is a tragedy. Especially when we know that several of those black head coaches are probably going to get fired this year because that's what happens. And we'll be right back in that cycle again. Where are the young up-and-coming head head black coaches from lower levels. Why is it that HBCU head black coaches, black head coaches never get that call up to the next level? Yet we always see um, head coaches from the FCS level in the the championship um, side getting opportunities to get better jobs. You see um, teams from the big sky, their head coaches get scooped up all the time. Um, the Colonial Athletic Association. Their head coaches get scooped up all the time by bigger programs. Where are the young minority head coaches that are, that are doing their thing at the secondary level that are getting an opportunity at that bigger level? We don't see it. Where are they? They're out there. They have to be out there because there's so many black players that become coaches. There's so many guys who want to be in this profession and yet They don't seem to get the same opportunity as well. I'm going to do a study on high school coaches. I really want to know what it's it's like down there. I bet it's not as great as we might think it is. And I'm a guy who's been a head coach at the high school level, and I still don't think it's, it's as good as it needs to be. We'll find out. All I know right now is that the NFL and the NCAA, congratulations. Because if your job was diversity, you failed. Another thing that I'm thinking about right now is Mina Kimes, Just um, she just had her first opportunity to be in a booth of of an NFL production on an NFL broadcast. Um, it was a it was a landmark day. The first woman to be in the booth, um, very Doris Burke esque. Um, not that Doris Burke was the first, um, but I always take Doris Burke to be the gold standard because. Doris Burke understands the game from a playing perspective. She has an opportunity to um, evoke her wisdom and her knowledge as a player, but also her prowess as a journalist and as somebody that's willing to get into the trenches and figure out what's going on. Mina Kimes doesn't exactly have that background. She doesn't come from an athletic background. She comes from a fan's background. And and let's let's not make any mistakes about it. Mina Kimes is fantastic at her regular job. She is a great journalist. She's a great talking head on TV. She does a great job giving her opinions when asked about her opinions. I actually like her podcast. I've listened to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny um, a few times. I have enjoyed it every time that I've listened to her. When she's on talking about football, I don't necessarily want to turn it off. It's not something where I'm saying that she isn't qualified to do the job that she does. She is a great journalist. She is a great opinion maker when it comes to the game of football. But the booth, the color person, is supposed to be there for one job and one job only. They're supposed to be be there to give the fan insight that the fan can't get on their own because they were never inside. This is why, this is why Dennis Miller failed. This is why Tony Kornheiser failed. And this is why Mina Kimes was just average last night. Because she gave us stuff that we already knew or we already assumed. She gave us the same stuff that she could give us as a journalist. And while that's great, and and by the way, She was much more fluid, much more relaxed than Jason Witten was. But that's because this has been her life. Talking in front of a camera has been her life for some years now. She is comfortable. Jason Witten's life has never been talking in front of the camera. How many times did you remember a Jason Witten interview when he was playing football? It wasn't until Jason Witten retired that anyone even knew that he wanted to get into broadcasting. And we see he probably didn't really want to get into broadcasting. He probably just wanted to, like, you know, get his body better so he can go back to playing football again. Because that's exactly what he did. But Jason Witten still gave us insight that you only get if you're on or you've been inside. Mina Kimes has given us information that journalists get. And that's inside information, but it's not the inside information we need to hear at a football game. So while it was fantastic listening to her, it was fantastic, like, hearing her talk about football and be so natural with it. She sounded like someone who has a, a very high um, football IQ when it comes to the, the, the workings, the outer workings of football. But there was never anything that she said that I went, oh, snap. She just gave us some insight into the game. She's, she doesn't do what Emory Hunt does when Emory Hunt goes and breaks down a football game as the color analyst. Um, she doesn't do what Tony Romo does, who right now, let's be honest, Tony Romo's the gold standard. He goes in, he gives you insight into the game. I'm not talking about calling out plays. Like that's part of that's lucky. Um, and, you know, everybody knows that luck is just preparation and opportunity that come together. Um, he's prepared because he knows the game. He's been around it his entire life now. Um, and the opportunity is there for him to make a call, and he's made some right calls. But beyond that, he gives us an idea of the inner workings of that, uh, of that game, the stuff that you can't get unless you've been inside. And I'm sorry. like As, as great of a talker as Mina Kimes is, she's never going to be able to make up for that. And even though people may not like the fact that I'm saying that she was just average, I'm okay with it. Because you guys killed Booger McFarlane. you guys killed J- Jason Witten out there. Y'all were, y'all have been reckless on on people forever. Chris Collinsworth has been getting bashed for years. That comes with the job when you are a color analyst. Um, John Madden is a caricature. People made him into a caricature, and he leaned into the position. Um, so did. Um, um, so did John Gruden when John Gruden was on Monday Night Football. They all linked into that heel roller, to that to that caricature, caricature role, but they still gave you insight that you could only get if you were on the inside. And that's the difference. And so to me, Mina Kimes is a Tony Kornheiser, is a Dennis Miller. She just did it differently. Tony Kornheiser tried to be funny, tried to interject. You know, some of his his funny quips that he's been able to um, parlay a great career on the radio and in his columns and on TV and part of the interruption that made him great. Doesn't work in the booth. Dennis Miller tried to be a controversial comedian. And that's where he made his money and made his fame and became everything. Doesn't work in the booth. Guess what also doesn't work in the booth? Being a journalist they already have a journalist in the booth. That's the play-by-play person. The play-by-play person at some point in time probably did something that had to do with journalism, whether it was broadcast or print. So we already have a journalist perspective in there. We don't necessarily need another. And that's what Mita gave us. It It wasn't bad, but it wasn't groundbreaking. Find me somebody who can give me information on the inside of the game. Now we'll be working something. If she can get to that level, which I don't know how she's going to be able to do since she's never coached or played the game, maybe we'll talk. But until then, it's just a nice story, but that's all it is is a story because it really wasn't worth listening to. Another thing I'm thinking about now as we we transition away and football comes back is this idea of gambling. You know, this year is going to be the first year where it's like fully full-blown you know legal gambling in lots of places. People are going to be looking to make their bets. they're gonna be looking for the opportunity to cash in to get rich. Um, and it made me think about why was there this why was there this big stigma about um, about gambling and why was it such a big deal? What was the what was the nature behind people being upset about gambling? then I realized the NFL can control certain types of things, but they can't control gambling. They can't control legalized gambling. People act like gambling hasn't been legal for years. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called fantasy football. The difference is is that the NFL is in bed with fantasy football. So the NFL is getting lots and lots of revenue generated from fantasy football. That's why fantasy football is pushed so much on every network. That's why fantasy football is pushed so much in the NFL because it's their opportunity to get money. You know who doesn't who don't get any money from fantasy football players. And before people tell me, oh, yes, they do. They do revenue sharing. The salary cap does not reflect the amount of money that the sport makes the salary cap does not reflect the billions of dollars that this sport makes. So if you're not going to have an opportunity for the players to get their hands on that money individually, now here comes legalized sports gambling. People are concerned, oh, well, you know, got to watch players. You really think that a quarterback's going to risk a $100 million bag million dollar bet? Are you nuts? NFL quarterbacks who, by the way, are the only ones who can really tilt a game one way or another because they have control of the ball all the time. A center can't do it. They'll get fired before they're able to to snap enough bad snaps to have it be a, a situation. But a quarterback has the opportunity to directly affect the game but the quarterback is the only position that is not screwed over by the salary cap because quarterbacks get paid. Running backs don't. Tight ends don't. Wide receivers don't. Offensive linemen don't. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not not starving. But quarterbacks get generational wealth money. Generational wealth money. Wide receivers sign generational wealth contracts? Rarely do they ever see the end of them. Rarely. They have to hope for a signing bonus that that puts them in a position to be able to provide for their families forever. Running backs rarely even get that contract. It's a, it's a rarity that you hear a, a Todd Gurley contract. So when you look at football and you say, okay, well, these players might you think a running back is gonna take a chance, knowing that a running back is easily replaceable in the NFL, according to people. You think he's gonna take the opportunity to throw a game to make a million dollars when he can get blackballed and have no opportunity to make money at this at this game forever? the the biggest scandals you're ever going to hear about coming out of legalized sports betting because sports gambling has been going on forever. The only thing you're really going to hear about is you'll maybe hear about a player who bets on his own team. You may hear about a player betting on his own team. I doubt it, but you may. And I can't necessarily say I'm mad at that. But the idea that Oh my gosh, this gambling thing is new. When fantasy football is making billions upon billions of dollars every year, is laughable. Fantasy football is so, is so big that they're giving out $1 million dollar and five million dollar and ten million dollar prizes. People are telling kids to play Fortnite because Fortnite gave out three million. Tell your kids to pay fantasy football. They can make a lot more money and, and with a lot less good competition because most people playing fantasy football don't know what they're doing most don't know what they're doing they keep they keep looking at it like it's a video game and the people who are successful have found a way to bridge the gap between game and the real game those are the people who haven't devalued running backs those are the people who understand that a quarterback who throws um a lot of touchdowns is valuable That a quarterback who can run for 50 plus yards a game and maybe get you one rushing touchdown a game is valuable. It's worth money. It's gambling. It's gambling. And it's been in the NFL for as long as I can remember now. I'm 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 almost to a point now where I don't even remember when fantasy football wasn't a thing. So we've had legalized gambling. Owners can't control it, so they don't like it. The purists don't like it because they're like, oh, well, now we've got to worry about the integrity of the game. They're giving players Toradol to be able to deal with pain. The integrity of the game has been gone. They're signing players the contracts they know they have no chance of honoring. They have no desire to honor that full contract. The integrity of the game has long been gone. They're allowing marginal to average quarterbacks to hold them hostage. The integrity of this game has been long gone. So you can miss me with the whole, oh, my gosh, legalizing gambling is a, is a horrible thing, and just pass me a slip. That's what I'm talking about. Finally, before I got out here, I want to talk about one more thing that really, really gets on my nerves. And that's this idea that Lamar Jackson can't throw. I keep hearing people say it. I keep hearing people talk about it. I keep watching and seeing posts on social media talking about Lamar Jackson as if he can't throw. Ladies and gentlemen, Lamar Jackson threw for 58% completion percentage last year. It's essentially what he did in college. Um, He also put up ungodly numbers throwing the ball in college. He was only allowed to throw the ball a a fraction of the time, whereas his contemporaries that year, last year, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, And Josh Rosen were allowed to throw the ball infinitely more times. I did some numbers and if I extrapolated out the attempts based off of the completion percentage that Lamar Jackson had, that I think is a fair completion percentage, 59%, he would have outperformed in the passing game. Josh Allen, it wouldn't have been close. Sam Darnold wouldn't have been close. Josh Rosen, wouldn't have been close. The only person he would not have outperformed is Baker Mayfield. And he wasn't very far off. This idea that Lamar Jackson can't throw comes from one thing. It comes from an idea of systemic racism at the quarterback position. The way in which black quarterbacks are spoken about not just minority quarterbacks this only happens with black quarterbacks the way they talk about lamar jackson oh well he's got to run a gimmick offense he's got to run an rpo offense um what do you think they run in philadelphia they run the same offense in philadelphia that same offense by the way that won a super bowl in philadelphia the same offense that they're using to justify giving um, Carson Wentz ungodly amounts of money. A guy who can't stay healthy, who's never stayed healthy in his entire career, they're giving him ungodly amounts of money to run the offense that you're calling a gimmick in Baltimore. Josh Allen is running an offense that is not a traditional NFL offense. In fact, I'm really wondering what the hell is a traditional NFL offense? Tom Brady runs a a, a catch and throw college style, um, get the ball out your hand quick, get the ball into the hands of um, receivers who can make yards out the catch style of offense that was made, pos- made um, popular by Oregon and what Chip Kelly was doing. The only thing he doesn't do is add the running quarterback element to it. They do a little bit more downhill scheme, but it's catch, look, and throw. It's stuff that has been around forever, and guess who's been running it? Black quarterbacks. Black quarterbacks have been running this offense. They've been running Tom Brady's offense. They've been running Carson Wentz's offense. They've been running um, Alex Smith. Uh, Alex Smith's offense until last year when they actually got a black guy to run it. And guess what happened? He broke records. Amazing. But when you come back and you start talking about Lamar Jackson, it's the same type of ridiculousness you talked about with Cam Newton. Cam Newton can't throw. Cam Newton can't be a sustainable quarterback in the NFL. Cam Newton's a gimmick. Cam Newton's a Hall of Famer, ladies and gentlemen. Cam Newton is one of the most unique athletes to ever play the position, and now that he's logged enough years to where he has the numbers to back it up, Cam Newton's a Hall of Famer. You're gonna have to deal with it. This stuff is all over the place. Lamar Jackson can't throw. Nobody gives. Nobody gives Deshaun Watson his due in Houston. He just keeps winning and throwing touchdowns. Russell Wilson has been the most consistent quarterback in the, in the in the NFL his entire career. He's been the most consistent, the most efficient quarterback in the NFL since he arrived. And yes, that includes that Stephen A. Smith bad man, Aaron Rodgers, because he's reliable. Because he's reliable. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't miss games. He knows how to run. He gives you something in the run game. He gives you something in the pocket, but he knows how to escape. He knows how to keep the the, the, the drive alive. That's all Lamar Jackson's doing. He's learning how to play the game. The difference is, is that they've accentuated the talents of Lamar Jackson so that he can be successful in other ways, not just by passing the ball. So when he does become a better passer like every NFL quarterback does when he improves and it won't be it won't be shown in the completion percentage because let's be real about it he's probably going to hover around 60% his entire career but it's going to be a fantastic 60% and all you haters are going to be oh so mad you haters are going to be upset you're going to be wondering what's going on why is Lamar Jackson so good? Oh, my gosh. Why is Deshaun Watson in the MVP conversation every year with Russell Wilson? Why is Patrick Mahomes rewriting the, 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 the record books? We got we to gotta come up with a new threshold for him because if he's going to be throwing 40-plus touchdowns every year, oh, my gosh, he's going to catch Drew Brees in no time. Heaven forbid you catch Drew Brees, who has some of the most overrated and inflated stats in the world. I'm just saying, we're going to have to start talking differently. If you're going to say that Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball, I need you to say Josh Rosen can't throw the ball. His completion percentage was worse. I'm going to need you to say Sam Darnold can't throw the ball. His completion percentage was worse. I'm going to need you to say um, Josh Allen can't throw the ball. His completion percentage was worse. All three of them threw more picks. All three of them. Yet, I have not heard their ability to throw the ball questioned once. The only person I've heard it from is Lamar Jackson. I heard people question whether or not Deshaun Watson was a leader because he does a first down move every time he gets a first down. He's only ever done it his entire life. It's only an homage to someone. No one says anything except for maybe Colin Cowherd about Baker Mayfield dancing. Oh, Baker Mayfield can dance and act an ass and be an asshole. But he's a leader, man. He's, he's, he's leading those guys. NFL, NFL players don't need like to be browbeaten by a, a 24-year-old, 25-year-old quarterback. I don't know how old he was. He's, he was in college for a long time. They need to be browbeaten. They don't need to be um, their feet held to the fire. NFL players know one thing. If I don't perform, I'm going to get fired. What else do you need to know? In the NFL, if you don't perform, you're going to get fired. Guess what? If Lamar Jackson doesn't perform, he's going to get fired. And you hate it because you can't help but notice he's performing. All that love Baker Mayfield got. It didn't equate to playoffs didn't equate the playoffs so now with all these young african-american guns all these young black gunslingers in the NFL what are you gonna do how are you gonna keep on trying to hold us down you're gonna start moving the goalposts gonna start moving the goalposts because that's what happens every time Every time minorities knock down one barrier, there's another barrier put up. There's another barrier put up. I remember when Cam Newton came up for his contract and everybody said, oh, my gosh, do you pay somebody like Cam Newton that much money knowing that he could get hurt at any time? Then he got hurt in the pocket. It was because of his running style they said, you got to worry, but then he got hurt in the pocket. Nobody said, hey, do we need to pay Andrew Luck all this money? He keeps getting hurt. I know what I said. I said I would have traded him. You know why? Because the best ability is availability, and Andrew Luck doesn't seem to be available very often. Neither does Carson Wentz. I would have traded him. I would have kept the other guy. Kept the other guy for way cheaper. Traded him, got a bunch, like a, a lion's share of picks. I mean, Carson Wentz has not improved since college. He's been the same quarterback since college. And it's a shame because I really thought like he was going to be, oh, my gosh. I thought he was going to be otherworldly. The same way I, I, I thought about um, Marcus Mariota. It was gonna be otherworldly. That kind of speed, that kind of athleticism. I mean Lamar Jackson speed, type speed. He was fast. Got to the NFL, forgot how to forgot how to be an athlete. Forgot that that's what made him special. He tried to do the white thing. I don't know why. I mean, nobody cares how you get it done, they just want you to get it done as Steve Young. Nobody. Nobody threw Steve Young to the Wolves. No one told him you can no longer be a quarterback. They said, hey, Steve Young, we're gonna work with you. We're gonna keep working with you. You're gonna be a good quarterback in the NFL. We're gonna work with you. Warren Moon, they said, nah, bud. Once you play wide receiver. Warren Moon said, F that. I'm gonna go to this Canadian Football League and dominate it. Ever until you until you give me a shot because you have no other opportunity. I mean you have no other choice. That's what he did. Then he came back to the NFL and wrecked the NFL for years. How many players will n- never got that opportunity? Why was Mitchell Trubisky the one and not Williams before him? Not Gerard Evans from Virginia Tech. Why did Trubisky get the opportunity when his statistics look very similar to theirs. Why? Like, why are we looking in New York and saying, oh my gosh, we have the next guy, the, the, the Eli clone. Why would you want to clone Eli Manning? Eli Manning's not good. Don't let this Giants this Giants t shirt fool you. If you can see it, this is a little league football team. I am not a Giants fan. I don't have anything against the Giants. But when you tell me Eli Manning, I we got another Eli Manning. Okay. You got another guy that turns the ball over way too much. Only seems to be clutch like twice in his career. He's got two Super Bowls. Can't take that away from him. He's got a bunch of stats that don't mean a thing. And if you take the Super Bowl away from the Super Bowls away from him, which you can't. But if you take those Super Bowls which are team Awards, he's terrible. He's got one season I go, man, he was really good. One season. But we, we we hold him up. Not we. People hold him up as if he's great, as if he's his brother. He can't hold Peyton Manning's job. He is nowhere near on the same level of Peyton Manning. When they go into the Hall of Fame, because he's going to go in the Hall of Fame because people are stupid. Peyton Manning is going to go into a way different class than Eli Manning is going to go into. Because the only reason Eli Manning is going to go into the Hall of Fame is because his team won two Super Bowls. He had a good run. He had a good run in them two Super Bowls. Played some good football. Didn't even play good football the entire season, those Super Bowl runs. But he played good football in the run to the Super Bowl and in the Super Bowl. So that's what happens. That's what we're going to do. That's how it's done. Meanwhile, Jameis Winston turns the ball over too much. Jameis Winston, who's 25 years old, he turns the ball over too much. Too much turning the ball over, Jameis. You're not a good person either, so that matters. But you turn the ball over, that's what we really care about. Never mind that your first few years statistically have been some of the best passing years ever in the history of quarterback play. You turn the ball over too much. But Andrew Luck, it's okay. You can turn the ball over. You're okay. You can continue to turn the ball over double digit a year. We're not going to say anything about you. But Jameis, this is your last chance. Um, you have to have the quarterback whisper. Bruce Arians come in there and, and, like, fix you as if it's your fault the Buccaneers have been terrible. Is that, like, you make tackles. Like you stop people from catching balls. You don't do any of that. You have nothing to do with the defense. You don't block for yourself. Yet we're going to blame you for everything that's wrong with the Buccaneers. I just I just laugh. It's it's hilarious to me. This we have we have new coded language. We have new coded language. It used to be that the quarterback can't stay in the pocket. That was their way of saying that he wasn't poised, he can't stay in the pocket. But now that everybody gets out of the pocket, the new thing is oh well, he can't read defenses. He plays a gimmick offense. They have to they have to keep it simple for him. Why do they have to keep it simple for the black quarterbacks? when that same offense is being ran by white quarterbacks. I don't understand it. Shouldn't everybody make it simple? Shouldn't that be the way we all do things? Oh no, I forgot. It's just, just the black people, just the black people. We don't just the black quarterbacks. We have to worry about them. Um, we also need to worry about the fact that they, they, they have trouble seeing at night and, um, that You know, if you give them too much money, they're not going to be motivated to get any better. You know, they don't really love the sport. They only do the sport because they're athletic and it's a way for them to make money because they never took school seriously. I mean, this is all stuff that we've heard about, you know, minority quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, not minority quarterbacks, black quarterbacks. And this is why the chain of black quarterbacks that get to hang around as backups is super super small joe webb is the only guy that i know has been able to hang around the nfl as a backup for a long period of time that's because he's a special teamer he he moonlights as a wide receiver and he plays every special team Josh Johnson came in off the street and did something that three quarterbacks for the um, for the Washington Redskins couldn't do last year. Consistently move the ball, win some games. Josh Johnson started the year without a job. Then he got picked up only when somebody got hurt. Tyrod Taylor gave Buffalo their only playoff berth in a year where they weren't even trying to make the playoffs. They kept taking weapons away from him. He still made the playoffs. His reward was getting was getting sent to a sent to a program where they were going to take a quarterback number one overall, make a less dynamic offense for him, so that when it wasn't successful, they had a reason to scapegoat him and bring in the youngin'. That's what happened. Then he ended up in a place where there seems to be a whole bunch of minority backups until then they have they all had to lead so now he's just playing a backup game by the way tyrod taylor still under 30. kurt warner's career didn't start until you know damn near 30 or 30. tyrod taylor has infinitely more athleticism than Kurt Warner ever had. Maybe someone should give him a shot like they gave Kurt Warner a shot. A real shot, not the, hey, you're going to be the starter until, or, hey, you're going to be the backup, but when our guy retires, we're probably going to just draft another quarterback and get you out of there. Maybe a legitimate shot, like, hey, we can win games with you because you did it in Buffalo. Nah, it's not good enough. He doesn't doesn't throw enough touchdowns. He doesn't put up enough yards. He just wins football games. It's not pretty all the time. It's not fancy all the time. He just wins football games, and that's not enough. That's what we deal with as minorities in all walks of life. There's always a different hurdle to jump over or another way to spin it for us. And it's no more evident in the NFL than at the quarterback position and as the head coach of a football team. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the Offensive Interference Podcast Rate Review. Make sure you check us out on the Football Game Plan Network. Um, Emory Hunt, Chris James, Brandon Howard, my boy Um T D. Teron Davenport, doing fantastic things in Tennessee. Um, Emory all over the place. CJ, one of the most brilliant minds in football, um, analytically. Looks, we all look at the game from a football perspective, but we never lose sight of the opportunity to get better at our craft. Um, but we know what it was like on the inside. And we know what it's like on the inside. And so I'm, I'm happy that we're back. We're off and running. Um, Make sure that you share this with a friend. Make sure that you get an opportunity to see what's coming up soon. We'll be back soon with our best bets pod because that was always fun last year, give an opportunity to make you a little bit of money. And I'll be back on the Offensive Interference Podcast next week. Until then, y'all take it easy. One.